Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech, the podcast where we get into all things biotechnology related. My name is Matt and I want to thank you all for tuning in. Got a hectic uh, show today. I'm going to talk about, the the main topic I want to talk about is Amune Therapeutics. It's a um, company that is trying to get desensitization therapy to the market uh, for allergies. Um, But before I do that, I want to talk about two... um, two things that are going on today. So a bit of a hectic day in the market for companies that I hold. Um, one in particular is Magical Pharmaceuticals. And earlier, or this morning actually, so I'm recording this on, on Tuesday the 13th, but um, Magical reported their fourth quarter and year-end financial results. And the stock dropped about uh, 10% on this. I, uh, I went through the report and there's really, in my opinion, nothing too interesting to, to report. They, they go through their results. They talk about how much cash they have, which doesn't seem too surprising. So I don't know. If anything, this is an opportunity to buy a little bit more. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my position right now, so I'm just holding. But um, I encourage anybody to read the, the financial report and to get a sense of what's going on. But in my opinion, this is nothing uh, surprising. Something a little more convoluted was uh, Atomus. So... Um, for my first video, I went through why I think Atomus is, is still has a lot of potential, even though they've been taking a, a real beating in the last few months. So they're a company that has a um, a treatment on the market now. It's an adamantine extended release treatment that is for uh, dyskinesia in levodopa-treated Parkinson's disease patients. So they, uh, they dropped like 8% today on news that the FDA received a paragraph 4 certification for um, a generic drug to be released that, uh, that has similar characteristics as uh, Gokovri, which is the, Gokovri is the drug, the adamantine um, ER extended release form that uh, Adamus has, has released and is starting to market now. So um, basically, there's a few things that, that I'm not abundantly clear on. Um, one thing is for sure is that Osmolex is probably the company behind this. So they're, uh, I talked about in the first video, and I encourage you to go back and check that out, is, uh, has, a, has another adamantine. I keep saying adamantine. I mean amantadine. Amantadine. Sorry. Uh, they have an amantadine formulation as well that they got approved based on the immediate release um, data that was collected in the in the 70s, the 60s and 70s from the original amantadine studies. So they're obviously trying to uh, make a case that the Gokovri patent is not enforceable and it's invalid and that they should be able to uh, sell Osmolex ER without infringing on Gokovri's rights. So the fact that the FDA received this is is not good. So it means that they're they're potentially going to be approved to sell uh, Osmolex ER and not infringe upon Gokovri's patents. So the one thing that this um, document says is that the uh, the original the brand name drug sponsor has an opportunity to uh, decide to fight against the the case that the generic company is trying to make 
they have 45 days to respond and if they do respond and say that they're going to um, fight for their patent rights the generic drug is postponed for 30 months unless the patent expires or is judged to be invalid or not infringed before that time so uh, Adamus hasn't said anything given this and I'm not sure if they did respond because the data submission here is January 16th 2018 um, to the FDA so presumably uh, Osmotica the the company that has Osmolex ER would have had to notify them and we are well past 45 days from then so uh, it would be nice to know what's going on here I think uh, I'm definitely a little concerned about this because the you know the the advantage that Atomus has is the the patent protection but also their their first to market and so they're obviously making moves in in the marketing right now and I talked about that in the video but if, if another company is going to be able to undercut them I don't think it's going to look good for this drug um, at least in terms of the potential revenue that they're going to get that that I was estimating so they they have a lot of other things going for them so I'm not selling but uh, I'm hoping tomorrow or by the end of the week they they put out some statement on saying what they plan to do so um, go and check out the site I'll, uh, I'll link it in the comments and uh, it explains a little bit on how generics are, are brought to the market and how generic companies try to uh, get an advantage from from patent holders so it's uh, it's kind of interesting and uh, the one thing they do say too is that the there's a suitability petition that they can write in and so if the drug has a substantial difference in dosage strength root administration um, they uh, they can get this and it'll allow them to to have this generic so uh, in checking the labels the the drug is pretty similar the only difference really is the dose so this is for Osmolex they're they're in doses of 129 193 or 258 and Gokovri has uh, 68.5 and 137 milligram tablets so uh, I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see. I'm uh, I'm gonna keep my eye on the news though, and hopefully we get some clarity from Adam as a standpoint. Okay. So with that out of the way, I want to talk about the uh, AR101 drug that they have that Amune has, Amune Therapeutics has for treating peanut allergy patients. So for those who don't know. Um, Peanut allergy apparently affects about 3 million Americans and a lot, about half of them are children from ages uh, 4 to 17 years old. So they, uh, Amun sees an opportunity here to um, treat these kids and the opportunity is uh, lowering the threshold of peanut exposure so that they don't have an anaphylactic reaction, which is the cause of death in a lot of these kids. So, uh, the 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 means by which they're they're going to do this is through their um, conditioned oral uh, desensitization therapy. They call it uh, CODIT, C-O-D-I-T. Where is it? Okay, characterized oral desensitization immunotherapy. So, uh, the way that this works, and this has been studied for for a long time now, but this company seems to be one of the first ones to actually try and bring it to market and make a marketable product. So, uh, the the point is to slowly desensitize these kids by exposing them to peanut protein in uh, very controlled doses at at specific intervals. 
So the updosing phase works for six months, then they have an ongoing maintenance phase at, at a high dose uh, for another six months, and then presumably they're protected under a certain amount of exposure. So this was the uh, largest phase three trial for, for something like this. And uh, you can see here the, the opportunity is, is pretty large. So I think a lot of people are going to be interested in this. A lot of parents who want to uh, reduce the chance that their kid might be accidentally exposed to peanuts and just full out die. So this allows them to be exposed to some peanut protein without getting a full out uh, anaphylactic reaction. So uh, this trial, they, they saw really good phase two data and I reported that in a previous blog post. So definitely go and check that out if you want sort of a primer on this whole thing. Um, so their, their Palisade trial was big phase three. They had 554 patients randomized three to one with the peanut protein or placebo. Uh, a lot of these patients were actually very sensitive to peanut, peanut protein. Three quarters of them had a history of anaphylaxis. Half of them had asthma, which is associated with allergies. And uh, two thirds of them had multiple allergies, multiple food allergies. So it was definitely a cohort that was relatively extreme when it came to this. And so the, the way that this works, yeah, so the dosing, you know, they start very small and it goes every every week or two that they increase the, the amount of protein. So the the amount of peanut protein that they can handle is only 10 milligrams before they start get, getting severe reactions. So they, they're starting much lower than that and then they slowly escalate to about 300 milligrams and then for six months they're on that 300 milligram uh, dose and then at the end of the, the year, they go through a food challenge, and that determines whether or not they, uh, to see the maximum dose of protein they can handle before they undergo an anaphylactic or a severe reaction. Okay, so for the trial, they, uh, they did a, so this is what the food challenge is called, the DBPCFC, Double Blind Placebo Controlled Food Challenge. And uh, it's a yeah surrogate for accidental exposure. So they do this at the in this trial they did it at entry to see how sensitive these patients were to protein, peanut protein, and then they did it at the end to to confirm it. So um, the way this works is they give small small but increasing increments of peanut protein every 20 minutes, and then they they wait to see how the symptoms react. So once the once the symptoms get to medium or severe, they stop the the trial and um, then, you know, whatever that dose was, that's their, their tolerance of peanut protein. And, uh, they obviously don't want to go too far because it could trigger a severe, uh, reaction. So they, uh, they try to hold it back from there. So anyway, uh, in this trial, they did the DBP, DBPCFC at the beginning and at the end, and they had an independent assessor who did not know. So they were blinded as well. So they didn't know. Uh, if the kid was actually on the AR101 or the placebo, AR101 being the actual peanut protein. So the results were as, uh, you know, I, I did predict this. I thought this was going to be kind of a slam dunk and the market actually agreed with me. They, they weren't surprised, but uh, in the AR101 group, they saw a significant increase in uh, responders at 300, 600, and 1000 milligram doses, which is pretty impressive. So just compared to the placebo at, at 1000 milligrams, which is the equivalent of three 
physical three full peanuts. Um, it's a uh, it's pretty good. So they saw a big um, response. The six hundred and three hundred milligram doses were were even more, were even better. So I think this is uh, this is what they were hoping to see. The the FDA didn't respond very well to another company that had a similar product. So uh, I also commented on this on a previous blog post, but uh, DBV the Technologies has a subcutaneous desensitization therapy that they tried, but the um, the confidence intervals weren't very good, even though they had significant, statistically significant data. But it turns out, and they announced this relatively recently, that the FDA is going to allow them to submit a biologics license application for kids that are 4 to 11 years old. So uh, Amien's definitely going to have a competitor in this space, but I really think that patients are going to gravitate towards the, the therapy that works significantly better and has a, a larger effect. So uh, this was great, great news for them. Um, they the, the other thing that people were worried about were the amount of side effects going on So, um, and the number of dropouts, actually. So one out of five people dropped out of the study, and uh, it wasn't clear totally from the conference call why that was. There were a bunch of different reasons. Um, in almost all the patients, they had some sort of treatment-related adverse event. And I think that's to be expected, just given that the body is is trying, the body and its immune system is trying to react um, appropriately to getting exposed to these foreign agents every single day. So they're they're definitely going to have something going on as they're undergoing this this treatment. But as long as they're willing to um, finish the treatment, they're they're able to see these great results. So the the discontinuations are kind of all over the place. Uh, gastrointestinal, respiratory, um, systemic hypersensitivity, so uh, I don't know, trouble, actually it wouldn't be trouble breathing, maybe just heart race, kind of weird stuff going on. Um, but the the uh, doctors behind it, they didn't seem too surprised at this one out of five uh, dropout rate. Okay, so Overall, they were they're very happy with this, and uh, they're they're moving forward. This is very positive data. Um, they want to submit a BLA in the United States, and they're hope they're going to be doing this in late 2018. The trials they're going to be finishing up this year before that, and so the MMA is or MAA is for European submission. So they're looking at both Europe and the United States, which is which is great. Um, they want to finish up this Palisade follow-on here. And uh, so this is, they're hoping to, the, the trial, the Palisade trial was one year, and they want to continue this for another year with these kids. And uh, they also want to give the, the placebo kids the actual AR-101 to see if it, if it works in them too, which I think it will. Um, the Ramsey's trial is, uh, the only difference between the Ramsey's trial and the Palisade trial is that there's no entry uh, food challenge test. So apparently the food challenge test actually hypersensitizes people, uh, allergic people, so they they want to actually do um, a trial with people that aren't hypersensitized by this entry food challenge. So the data for that are expected in uh, second half of 2018, and they're expecting data to be almost better than what was seen in the Palisade trial, given that the, the, the kids are not going to be as hypersensitive to that. 
In Europe, they've got another uh, trial going on. So these guys are doing a ton of work, in my opinion, to, to really get a big data set for the, the PLA submission in the U.S. And I don't think they're going to have any trouble actually getting it through. Um, the one thing that's different in uh, in the Artemis trial is that the the primary endpoint is the 1,000 milligram dose um, at the exit food challenge. So the, the primary endpoint was only the 600 milligram dose in Palisades, so they, they upped the bar a little bit in Europe, but I think given the, the large difference between placebo and test group, that it shouldn't be a problem. Um, so they, they do another trial on pediatric kids, so these are very young patients, so they want to see if it works, if the age actually matters. Um, one thing that they mentioned also is that they, they had an adult group, so people that were over 17 years old, and about half of them actually dropped out of the trial, but they didn't really have a, a specific reason why. It, they said it had really nothing to do with the treatment, but more to do with timing. <clears throat> so the the patients didn't want to schedule properly, so it seems like this this could work, and they could get an indication for this for adults, which are you know a pretty su substantial population of people that that have a peanut allergy. So. It seems like they can really expand to different markets, and that's ideal. Um, so in terms of the questions they actually that people brought up in the conference call when I was listening to it, there wasn't anything more uh, surprising than what was provided in the in the press release. But they uh, they said that they have a Florida plant to produce uh, GMP approved um, peanut protein in these appropriate denominations, and they have enough for 500,000 patients per year so far which I think is good uh, just given that the rollout is going to take some time but the the number of patients that their their target is is 1.6 million in the United States so uh, hopefully they'll be able to get another fat facility involved so that they can actually reach that potential because um, they're gonna want to hit the ground running especially if they have a competitor like DBV who's gonna actually you know they're gonna be able to get some customers presumably so um, other than that, they, they talked a little bit about a, a collaboration they had with Nestle and with uh, Regeneron and Sanofi. So they have other trials going on. Uh, here it is. So they're doing a collaborative trial with, uh, with a drug that's supposed to suppress the immune system a little bit when it comes to allergy. And um, yeah, they didn't talk too much about the Nestle collaboration, but just the, the fact that it's there. So... Uh, when it comes to trying to price out how uh, what kind of price target we can expect uh, it's a little bit difficult just given that uh, we're still waiting for the BLA application to go through and the MA MAA application um, but they they talked about how they're hiring and they have hired um, the appropriate people they're they're starting to get marketing people and sales people involved uh, field management people patient education people and payer education so they're gonna have to see the same thing that I talked about with Atomus, you know, they want formularies to put it on their um, their drug list, and they're going to hope to get get it covered by Medicare or whatever. So we'll see how that goes, but it looks like 2019 is when we're actually going to start to see some sales come in and prescriptions written for for this product. So um, until then, it's pretty much let's uh, wait and see and make sure that the um, their other trials go through okay. So the stock itself. Um, so in late October was the, the news that DBVT's trial was not uh, impressive enough for the FDA. 
And uh, so this sent Amy's stock flying, and they've been bouncing around pretty much between 30 and 40 since then. And then, uh, yeah, so then when the results came out, uh, the stock was relatively overbought, I guess, and people sold on the news, and that's not surprising. But um, just from their financial results that came out, uh, people sold on that news as well. So it looks like any excuse to sell on the stock is what, uh, you know, is what's happening right now. So uh, let's wait and see. Hopefully, if all the trials go well in the next... Oh, sorry. Here we go. So I expect all the trials to be positive in the next year and that the application has no problem, but um, some estimates for the cost. Uh, somebody from an analyst at Reuters predicted a price point of $5,500 per year, which I think might be a little bit low for a product like this. Um, but if we do assume around $5,000 per year for this product, and if they're able to reach 1.6 million patients, it's about $8 billion a year in revenue, that would be great. They also have Europe to go to, and um, yeah, and if they're able to expand that child population to more, this could be a lot bigger. And uh, their their market cap today is uh, 1.63 billion. So I think there's definitely some upside here. I uh, I'll put my position in the um, in the the blog post itself, but I uh, I do think that these guys are uh, are a long term hold. Um. Yeah, other than that, I think uh, I think I covered everything. So uh, thank you guys very much for watching. Let me know what you think of the company or the yeah, just making sure I, I covered everything. Yeah, that's pretty much all the main beats anyway. So um, if I miss something on the Atomus uh, category four, please uh, paragraph for me. Let me know because I'm I'm kind of learning about that a little bit more as I go along. But uh, yeah, gonna wait and see what the company says and hopefully they they say something. But uh, Amune, I think, is a buy. I think they have a lot of potential if you're able to hold for the next couple of years, which I am. But uh, thank you very much for watching. And uh, tell a friend if they're interested in getting into biotech. And uh, yeah, leave me a comment and subscribe. And with that, I'm going to sign off. But thank you guys for watching and see you next time.